Hey guys, welcome to episode 184 of the podcast with my guest, Ms. Savannah Sly. I'm not going to say too much about this because I just think the whole episode is replete with so much interesting stuff. I look forward to hearing from you guys about it and uh, I want to just jump into shout outs. Ken, thanks for your great email. Ryan, thanks for yours. And Harry in Greece, thanks for yours. Josh, thanks for your email. You're a relatively new listener. I'm delighted to hear from you guys. I will need to catch up on shout outs from other uh, social media forums soon. I am, of course up at Sketchfest and it is a bit zany. I'm very excited about this weekend, uh, Saturday the 16th, I'll be podcasting, as I have mentioned before in the intro, here up in San Francisco uh, with uh, at noon at the Eureka Theater with Chuck Bryant um, from Stuff You Should Know Podcast and Josh Clark dropped out, but Veronica Belmont awesome dropped in and musical guest matt nathanson so this is shaping up to be quite a wonderful lineup and uh, any of you who are in the bay area um please come join us come join us uh and uh, i think that's it guys so uh, check it out um you know when i say check it out that's so vague i could be talking about anything whatever it is that you're interested in guys check it out and uh, i'll talk to you soon bye now entering Nerdist.com living in the future i do love living in the future i um i think that this is one of those things where this is only the second phone conversation slash podcast recording i've done and um every other time i've been in the same room as someone and so it still feels even though this is the most common thing in the world with people doing radio it's been around forever I, you know fortunately we don't have to kind of work with the crackly phone sound of one person being remote and on a phone since we both get to record um which i love 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 because there's always for me there's a little bit of like a checking out i do it's not on purpose but Whenever I hear a phone conversation that is clearly like, I'm on the phone, um, (laughs) I always sort of, there's some weird thing where like one tiny filter, it's not all of me, but one tiny filter like slips down into place. Does that make sense? Yeah, that that does make sense. Um, I I love living in um, what I call the future. I decided that we lived in the future when I first hopped on Skype. And I was talking uh-huh. to a friend in Estonia, and he's like, look at my bedroom. This is my cat. And I'm like, this is real time. And you're in <laughs> right. Estonia. And like, and yeah, we're kind of doing something that's been done for many years via radio now, but we're doing it with like, you know, consumer technology. It's on my laptop, which is this multi-purpose tool. And I'm using GarageBand, which came free with it. And I'm just going to Dropbox it to you, which is also free. And it's just so cool. I agreed with all of that. Agree with all of that, and and I think the key is saying, yeah, the idea of consumer technology, which also for me translates to like dilettante technology, because I've never pretended to have any real technological savvy, and the fact that I'm living in an era where that's not necessary, and I can still not suck is mm-hmm. fabulous. It's you cannot suck and you can present yourself very well, actually, and you can articulate your thoughts and broadcast them to anywhere all over the world. You can market yourself. It's it's really yeah. kind of a new age. And I think that's very exciting for people who are creative and entrepreneurial. 
you know what I love about the example that you gave too is that you set, that you gave Estonia as an example, which of course anybody who's familiar with it, and probably even people who aren't, it's such a great example of a place that is so rooted in the deep, deep past. In terms of like, isn't Tallinn there? Is Tallinn Tallinn? I That's don't Estonia, know. I, I myself haven't been to Estonia. This is an American friend who moved over there to um, yeah, work yeah. with some performance I, it's funny. artists. I think. I think it's my friends who have been there because it's a it's like a, a it's a quick um, I think it's like a quick ferry ride from you know Helsinki or some one of the Scandinavian mm-hmm. countries not to say Finland is but um, it is it is supposedly one of the most culturally rich kind of you know one of those places like you hear about in Europe or in or in the Far East or you know Russia where we as Americans don't have the experience of looking around and seeing thousand year old architecture you know so right. I especially I especially love the idea that you're reaching somebody who's you know in a place like that instead of just in you know New York City yeah it was oh, wonderful and at the time I was in a farmhouse in you know rural New England um, that's and it amazing. was just yeah it was just um, such a great experience um, to be so so far away from each other and um, and remote, you know, and able to connect yeah. so intimately and in real time. Yeah. So so here we are, well, Janet. Int- here we are, you and me holding hands verbally um, <laughs> as we as we dive into my podcast. The other thing I was going to say is funny because this just reminds me, and it, it might weirdly dovetail into some of the stuff I want to talk to you about. Is I was just listening to a podcast, um, my own self, wherein someone was talking about how um, technology has made it so easy to be infidelitous in all kinds of new ways. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I just thought that was interesting. I mean, of course, that's something that is said in one way or another frequently, but I don't know why it kind of stopped me in my tracks when I heard it uh, put it kind of great in, in, in an articulate way. Um, it just kind of stopped me. I was like, God, I guess, yes, of course. I mean, we all talk about sort of sexting and what are, how do we define the limits of, of fidelity and every person's relationship gets to be different. And, you know, how do you sort of, what is your understanding with your partner or um, what is your understanding with yourself? Like the way that we create our own personal boundaries in terms of everyone's varying level of a sense of honesty or a sense of loyalty. Um, Mm -hmm. How has that, how has that kind of become even more um, nebulous potentially with, uh, you know, this woman specifically was saying, you know, Oh yeah, I was having this emotional affair with this guy. You know, I think we ended up um, having sex three times over nine months. The rest of the time we were just texting all the time. And, uh, and the interviewer said, did you text in front of your husband? And she said, Oh yeah. Yeah, you know, it just didn't feel. I was so removed from. It was. It was. I, I was able to compartmentalize it so much that it sort of wasn't even something I was thinking about. Right. And I just thought that was really interesting. It, it it's really interesting. We really are in a new age in so many ways. The the communication technology that we have is uh, making us more able, obviously, to connect with so many different people than we ever have been able to before. And that's just uh, rapidly changing everything. I mean, the places where I see it most as a member of like the kink and the BDSM and queer um, communities, it's um, it's really wonderful that people, um, whereas before they lived in complete isolation, thinking they were the one freak who was into X, Y, and right. Z. Um, and right. now it's like you can find your community so easily and connect with those people. And I think that that's really wonderful. And I think that communication is wonderful for a huge multitude of reasons. But then there are, you know, there are, we're at a crossroads, um, in terms of how, what are, what are our ethics around all this? And, 
and how does communication sort of um, exacerbate um, pre-existing human behavior, which is sort of like hurtful or harmful. And infidelity can certainly be one of those things. It really boils down to um, being honest and open with your partner and whether you're able to do that or not. Um, as sure. a sex worker, I, I I help people navigate that with some frequency, and I certainly um, work with a lot of people who are seeing me um, unbeknownst to their partner. And mm-hmm. I, I would say that that's, that's something that a lot of sex workers sort of tangle with as a hard part of our job because, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to feel good about that. Um, but there's so many different reasons why people see us. And at the end of the day, it's sort of like sometimes I feel like I, – very often I feel like a, a therapist or a psychologist who's sure. helping somebody navigate something privately. And I think a lot of people see therapists unbeknownst to their partners or other people because they need a, a safe place to process something. And sometimes sure. I feel like a bartender, you know, where it's like, yeah. you know, like you're not supposed to be here, buddy. Well, you know, am I going to not serve you, you know, like sure, on, sure. only if I think that you are um, causing harm to yourself or others, you know? Um, sure. So it's, oh, you know it's, what? Let me stop you just for a second, Savannah, because for anybody who, for some reason, didn't bother to read the description, because it just they are they subscribe to the podcast and it automatically downloads right into their ears. Um, <laughs> would you mind quickly sort of introducing yourself and uh, and and just talk briefly about kind of what it is that you do and what you're all about? Sure. And I say that what you're all about and what take I'm thirty all seconds. About. <laughs> Let me tell you all about myself. Hey, listeners. Um, my name is uh, Savannah Sly, or Ms. Savannah, as I'm known in, in some realms. And I am a, uh, among many other things, I am a career sex worker. And I'm a sex worker rights activist and advocate. I'm currently the president of the Sex Workers Outreach Project, which is a national nonprofit with dozens of local chapters around the country. Um, that's dedicated to reducing harm and stigma and violence experienced by sex workers um, due to stigma and discrimination. Um, All that that is directed at sex workers and also their communities. Um, And we also address some of the intersectional issues related to all of that. Um, So I I spend, that's like my, that's kind of my full-time unpaid volunteer gig that I spend a whole Mm -hmm. lot of time doing. And um, one reason I'm able to do that is because I am a sex worker and I have been for... um, Actually, January is, um, this is my 12 or 13 year anniversary, I think, as a sex worker. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got started when I was um, a week after my 19th birthday. And when I say sex worker, for those of you who don't know what that phrase means, um, uh, the phrase sex worker is used to describe anybody who is working within what we call... um, there's a variety of phrases, the, the sex trade, the sex industry, the adult industry, um, the erotic industry. Um, sometimes sex workers don't refer to themselves as sex workers. They might refer to themselves as erotic services providers. Um, right. And then within that, under that umbrella, there's so many different kinds of people. There's um, erotic dancers and strippers, webcam models, escorts, um, massage parlor providers, porn stars, uh, phone sex operators, sugar babies. I mean, I, I'm pretty generous with who I put under that umbrella. Um, the criteria mm-hmm. for me is, is this something that you can't tell everybody about? Is this something uh-huh. you could never put on a resume? Um, right, is this something right. that could cause you to lose custody of your kids? Um, or mm, that somebody could discriminate against you before? Um, 
But that said, not everybody classifies themselves as a sex worker, even because their job might not involve sex. Um, and so they might think that sex worker means that it must involve sex, which um, that's not usually how the phrase is used. But um, also a lot of people, this is sort of um, uh, being a sex worker is sort of a form of being closeted in some ways. Um, and that's not to um, to try and take power from the gay rights movement, who has used the idea of closeting to really explain their situation. But um, when you're a sex worker, you can be extremely isolated. Um, if you don't have community or somebody understanding around you, um, it's possible that you are operating in complete secrecy. And there's a lot of downsides that can come along with that. So, sure. yeah. So, but yeah, so um, I'm a sex worker and that's that's my deal. <laughs> thank you so much and thanks for listening goodbye everybody <laughs> no uh no i really appreciate you taking the time out and i think that's everything that you're saying really resonates with me because uh, a lot of the stuff that you're talking about attaches to my own experience as a uh, you know as a non-sex worker but as somebody who has had many friends um working in that community some of whom were more um out about it than others you know obviously living in san francisco they they're certain sometimes can be luxuries if you will mm-hmm. call them that um to being in a in a much more liberal society and environment and where there are pockets of places where um that's something that's applauded or you know and it gets shouted out a lot frankly, when you look at some of the San Francisco, San Francisco has been historically a beacon for decades of the sex worker rights movement. Um, That's um, California's where SWAP got started in 2003. And there's just so much that San Francisco um, has done to to further the issue of um, sex workers rights as well as as many other liberal issues. So yeah, I bet you did have a, a good handful of friends who were in this industry. Well, it's a wonderful bubble, right? I mean, for me, um, and not to make this all about me as I usually do on a podcast, but for me, my, you know, when I kind of think about, and I've talked about, um, my experience with like my sort of experiences with being exposed to, um, sex outside of my own personal experience with it, uh, as a, as a young person, it really was limited to sort of, you know, okay, here are these playboys that I just found that I wasn't supposed to find. Here is this, um, hardcore porn that my friends and I found at their parents' house that we weren't supposed to find. Um, and then, you know, moving to San Francisco at 19 and suddenly uh, and and also, you know, sort of adult bookstores being this kind of place where, you know, you have this I'm from Tucson. You have this sort of seedy underbelly side of things where, you know, it, it feels like it's just for um, male sex offenders in their 40s. You know what I mean? Right. And then coming to San Francisco and very quickly after coming to San Francisco, finding out about Good Vibrations and this very sex positive movement in San Francisco and feeling like, you know, and going to the Lusty Lady as as this female owned unionized um, strip club yeah. and thinking and thinking, hold on now, hold on a second. This doesn't feel like this is different. An environment of broken women who don't have a handle on their sexuality or do feel that you know, or or are living as victims in a patriarchal pa- patriarchal society, excuse me. And um and how does that kind of align with my own worries about and I I, I certainly don't mean to lean that hard into women in the sex trade, but I 
I do because I am one and my own relationship with how I view pornography has sort of gone through a million different iterations and complicated feelings that I have about it. So, um, so that's kind of what I, you know, that's the perspective that I look at it from. And so when I get into conversations with people, you know, as you well know much better than I, there are so many different perspectives, even within a feminist community or, you know, a feminist um, viewpoint that it gets, it just gets hard because it's, if it's something that's so fraught, it, I love that you're, you know, that you're doing something to unite people or to create a a place where people can talk about it um, because it gets so fraught that, you know, two women who consider themselves feminists could be locking horns till the day they die about the sex trade. And about other things, such as um, the rights of a a transgender person to call themselves a woman. You know, um, there's different branches. Feminism has been around for long enough that there's um, several different kinds, you know. Um, So, yeah, not all feminists um, agree that sex work is um, a viable uh, means of employment. Um, Some feminists feel that sex work is inherently harmful. That does sort of fly in the face of the... Of the of, of sex workers who do come forward to express their truth, saying this isn't harmful for me, I choose this for whatever variety of reasons. Um, so, and I'm that op- and that and and I love that. I, I love. I mean, I think that's a very powerful response from a feminist pro sex trade to say, please don't tell me if you're a feminist, you don't get to tell me that I'm wrong and, and that what I'm a I victim. do and don't do with that's my body. That's the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Do- let me ask you this. Do, what was your relationship? I mean, I kind of just um, quickly said, you know, this is what my my exposure um, was as a, as a younger person and kind of how it um, blossomed open for me, if you will, uh, when I came to San Francisco. Since um, we talk about teen years on the podcast a bit, uh, what was your experience as a teenager? Um, I'm certainly interested to kind of know who you were far away beyond this particular Piece, but it might be a good way in to kind of find out sure. more about you as a, as a young person as well. What was what was, did you have a similar experience to what I did with with kind of finding out about sex outside of my circle of friends or myself? Um, I think I, I I've always been keenly interested in finding out about sex from a pretty young age. Um, I remember being. Um, seven and eight and there would be a flash of something sexy on TV like an advertisement or I'd see just a peak of like kind of a racy comic book that my cousin had and I'd be like what's that give that to me you know and uh-huh. um, <laughs> sure. and I couldn't just because I was like really f- like fascinated and I was probably kind of turned on but at that age I didn't really know what that was you know but I just knew that I'm like I don't know what that is but I would love to see more of that and um <laughs> and so I would kind of like sneak little glimpses into the adult world wherever I could never really got very far. Um, do you mind if I ask where you grew up or the sort of general area? Yeah, I grew up in, um, in, in rural Vermont. Um, so, um, but I also grew up in Maryland. So I grew up in Maryland until I was about eight and then I moved to rural Vermont. Um, but either way, um, I mean, I had, I had a lovely childhood, um, middle, middle class family, really supportive, awesome parents, um, great siblings. And, um, I had some friends and, um, I'm, I'm so, uh, lucky to say that, that I, I didn't really have any misfortune really come my way as a child. Um, until I was in middle school, there was definitely an inciting incident that I think, um, really formed a lot of my political belief, beliefs that, um, mm. helped propel me today. Um, 
but we can get to that in a second. As far as sex goes, I mean, I, I lost my virginity when I was 16. I certainly was trying to lose it a bit earlier than that. <laughs> I just didn't really have any, I didn't really have any game. I was a pretty nerdy kid. <laughs> I had like a robust crop of pimples at all times all oh, over my body. Nice. I was picked on. I was geeky. I, I wanted to be goth so badly, but it's hard to be goth in Vermont, especially when you don't have TV. And um, oh, no. I remember seeing like a Trent Reznor video once when I was in seventh grade and being like, where do you get leather pants? I don't <laughs> sure. know where you get these things. And it's like, yeah. I had the internet, you know, I was on, yacht. I had an internet boyfriend. So I would exercise actually before I lost my virginity, I had a um, really hot internet relationship for two years with a, a boy that I never met. Um, but it was a totally kinky relationship and we would be up on the phone all night and, um, yeah, so I was definitely interested in sexuality and, and wanting to try it out. And then um, once I lost my virginity, I, I kind of experimented sexually with different people in high school. And um, yeah, I didn't really realize I was kinky for a while, didn't realize that I'm a fantasizer and kind of a role player, which is definitely, I consider that to be kind of like my orientation, you know? So, but mm-hmm. sex was always, sex was. Um, it was satisfying in terms of like connecting with someone and feeling desired and providing pleasure. That's always been uh, immensely gratifying for me. Um, but otherwise sex felt pretty kind of like investigative or academic. And it's like, I would Hmm. sleep with people sometimes not because I really loved them or was really attracted to them. I mean, I I would be a little attracted to them, but mostly to be like, I wonder how you fuck, you know, like this will be interesting, interesting, you know, like, and, um, and in early, I went to art school in Boston, and during the first year or two of that, I remember I kind of developed this, like, pitch I would give people, being like, um, I think you're super cool. Um, I would love to move forward with this. Hey, this might be the only time we do this because I'm kind of not into commitment right now, but I would love to experiment with you this one time. Are you okay with that? And then they got to make the decision as to whether they were okay with that. Some were, some weren't. Some thought they were, and then later they weren't, and that was hard, and I had to kind of learn how to navigate that. Um, But, yeah, so I've always been interested in sexuality. And actually, um, it took me – I think I'm still learning about my sexuality. Um, I think there's something about me as uh, somebody who's sexually curious about other people. I've always been fascinated in what makes other people tick. Yeah, like how do you fuck and like what are your kinks and fetishes and and what's your orgasm face and how can can I figure out how to push all your buttons? And that's always been like kind of a delight to me and a challenge. And Mm. I think that that's something that makes me a really great provider of so many different kinds of fantasies. Um, I specialize as a dominatrix. I've I've worked just about every kind of job that you could imagine in the sex industry. Um, Mm -hmm. But I specialize in fantasy and fetish. And um, so in that regard, I've gotten to um, help hundreds, maybe thousands of people explore their their fetishes and fantasies. But um, when it comes to me, I feel like I'm still growing and I hope to always grow and, and discover new parts of myself. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, and so when you were um, talking earlier about the, the idea of this um, kind of therapy and <laughs> the idea of people's One infidelities. Hold on. Oh, sure. Sure. <coughs> Choking on my tea. I definitely want you to be able to breathe. You know what I've come across in my, in some of my friendships with people who had, Um, their various different relationships to their sexuality. You know, I had friends who felt, I think, very investigative and and curious in the way that you described. And that played out all the way across through having those sexual experiences with people. And then I had, you know, I can think of one friend I had who, who was, had all of those proclivities, but 
in the end, what my observation was and, and what, you know, she would share with me, um, sometimes kind of unknowingly not realizing that she was having these complicated emotions would be that she would go into something as you kind of talked about with someone on the on the opposite end of experiences you had where she would go into something as very sex positive very sort of I don't have an emotional attachment to this person that I've just met tonight and that I'm going home with and then unfortunately you know have I'm not sure where that in that that yearning for more intimacy on an emotional level or just doing it again with that person i don't know where that was born and i think people's assumptions it, you know are oh that's like once you you know as a woman once you've been penetrated suddenly want to have this man's baby i'm speaking you know in broad <laughs> generalizations uh-huh. about straight you know straight uh tropes but um, right but in fact she would come back and say you know why hasn't he called and so that was always, that was confusing mm-hmm. for me. And again, I've had friends who ha- don't have that relationship to it at all. But I always, because I had difficulty teasing those things apart, and it is what it is. You know, at this point and at the age I am, I'm totally fine with that. Um, but there was a period of time when I envied that sexual adventurousness and I wanted to want to have it more and I wanted to have it without emotional strings attached. And it was, it was almost frustrating to me as like a 21 year old mm-hmm. that I didn't, I couldn't kind of see my way around or through that. Does that make sense? Totally. And I, ex- I, I run into people all the time who have um, varying levels of emotional need in order to have a sexual connection with somebody. And, um, and I think that this illustrates um, the point that we all have, different needs at different times in our lives and we have different connections with each and every person that we um open up to or um or or meet with so what this makes me think of is like well first of all it's like i have had those experiences too where i'm like oh this will be fun you know and i'll hook up with somebody and be like oh they're really great that was really great yeah i wonder it will it be will i be coming on too strong if i like you know show that i like them and sometimes there's room for that and sometimes there's not and um and and that's okay if if um if everybody knows what the intentions are before going into something. Yeah. Well, um, that's a good question too because if you're that's that's a good question that I would love to ask you which is that now that you're in a position where those those ground rules are very laid out um in a, in a probably pretty concise way because what it comes down to is, you know, bottom line, so if someone's paying you for those services, um does it get does it still get complicated? Do you have people who say, you know, I thought I just wanted this, but now I have these feelings and I I don't know what to do with them because I know that you're a sex worker and I'm not the only person that you share this with. Right, right. Well, it's less complicated for me because I'm approaching it in a totally different mindset. You know, like I might have done this four times that day already. You know, it's my job and I am, I'm a provider. I am very much there 100% for this person. I'm not there to get my own gratification out of this. Mm. Um, And I've actually found that, I mean, occasionally I do enjoy what I do. You know, it's like it can be sexy sometimes and I can enjoy things but as soon as I start angling any of what we're doing towards my enjoyment I find that the client experience goes down tremendously and um you know people people uh pay a fair chunk of money to see me for an hour or two and um I feel that for that rate it should be a 100% them experience um I'm really taking them on a very highly customized ride through their nerve endings in their brain Mm -hmm. and um 
And I have my own play partners in my own life, and that's where I get my fulfillment, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I might on this, I might occasionally uh, derive, like, secondhand enjoyment from something, like a sensation or an idea or, ooh, that does look pretty sexy, you know? But, um, but I really need to maintain 100% focused on my client, and I think that that's why I have a really loyal clientele. Now, I have definitely had um, a great many clients. Uh, I wouldn't say that they're major- the majority, but maybe, like, you know, 10% who have met me. And I think that a lot of people are sometimes surprised when they meet me because because I do market myself as a dominatrix. Mm -hmm. Um, One of my favorite things to do at the very beginning of a session is I take somebody's pulse (laughs) just to like see um, if their heart is completely pounding out of their chest. They might be cool as a cucumber. I never thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it depends. Like I read a person when they walk in the door and if they look terrified, you know, like if they want to be terrified, I just milk that and I just drag them right into the session and, you know, they have a terrifying experience. And then afterwards I'm like, well, that was fun, wasn't it? Um, But sometimes people, they're really going out on a limb. This might be the first time that they've shared um, their kink with somebody. They might be totally insecure about what they want to do, but they are like, they're going to trust me because I have a good reputation to provide a safe, non-judgmental space for them. Um, And so... So, so I think sometimes people are surprised when I'm not all like domly dom with them. And I'm like, hey, how are you doing? Have a seat. Would you like a cup of tea? Let's sure. talk a little bit before we get started. Sure. And I think that, um, I, th- you know, it's it, a lot of, I would say the majority of sex workers that I know have a pretty nurturing side to them. Well, it's not I, like it that like mother it, nurturing. Like if you're able to do this and you're really providing that service in um, in sort of a holistic way, it, it, it is very interesting because it seems like how could you do that without a tremendous sense of empathy and without um, a sort of a tenderness for humankind, do you know? Sure, instead of a, con- sure. instead of a contempt for it, do you know? Right. And again, there are so many different kinds of sex work. And it's like there are also plenty of sex workers who want very little of that. Like, um, So like an erotic dancer or a webcam model, um, somebody might gravitate to that line of work because maybe there's less contact. Sure. Maybe they don't need to talk to you as much and maybe they don't need to do that. Maybe they're not there for the emotional labor and they're like, you can just like look at my hot body and we'll get you off and please pay me. Sure. You know, sure. and they might enjoy that or they might just be earning their bread and butter. Um but um, there's also a ton of providers out there who do provide a great deal of healing and safe space and are nurturing and sexy. And um, yeah, so, but then there's also, you know, just to speak, there's a, such a huge variety um, of people in this work. And um, I do want to address the complexities of sex work because a lot of people are really concerned about it. They think that it's inherently violent and it's not, you know, like I'm, I'm definitely an empowered sex worker. This has been a wonderful thing for me. It's, um, given me total freedom in so many ways. It helped me getting over like an eating disorder and all this stuff. Um, and I feel like a very confident person because of it. Um, but then there's people on the other side of the spectrum who really might only be doing this because it is their only means of making money, you know, like, um, so maybe they're discriminated against and can't get a job because of their gender or sexuality, you know, um, or, you know, maybe there's just very few other options open to them. Um, and then there's everybody in between, you know, and then you, I mean, like, like sex trafficking is a really hot topic that's talked about a lot mm-hmm. in our in in our world these days mm-hmm. and um there are certainly um instances where the sex industry can be a, a tremendously abusive and violent place right. um i don't 
Like as a 12 year career sex worker who has like studied this in depth and knows, has met like thousands of other sex workers. And really I I have my ear to the ground. I don't think that the issue of sex trafficking is nearly to the scope or magnitude that it is purported to be in popular media. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that's a bit of a hysteria and I would be happy to talk about that more. If there's any interest, if it's too heavy, we can talk about other stuff. No, I'm um, fast. First of all, I know that my normal amount of time for the podcast is never going to feel like enough, neither to me nor any, anybody (laughs) listening. These are the things that I've put a pin in in my head. I do want to hear a little bit more about the incident that you had in middle school. We don't have to jump into that yet. But um, sure. but you actually just answered one of the other two pins that I had uh, sitting in my brain, which were um, to, to ask you, yeah, kind of what you see outside, what kind of behavior, point of view, um, rhetoric do you see outside of the, of the sex worker community that frustrates you? And then what kind of stuff do you see inside of it that frustrates you as an activist? Um, so on the outside, that what frustrates me is I see a lot of assumptions and misunderstanding, moral judgment and fear, mm-hmm. which is dictating what happens to the sex industry and what happens to sex workers and all people involved in it. You know, and not just sex workers, but clients and our communities and families. Yeah. Um, so the I feel like. I feel like looking at the sex industry is kind of like looking at sex in terms of how people divide it in binary ways in their mind. So it's like sex is either like, hooray, sex is awesome and empowering and um, and you love your partner and you connect and you're a liberated woman and you can learn how to get off and buy this vibrator, you know, mm-hmm. like, and then there's the other side of things, um, which is like sex can be extremely traumatic and we have a huge problem with rape and we sexualize women as the uh, these objects we use in like football commercials and um, there's, there's male privilege and we really need to get a grip on sex because it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. And there's not a whole lot in between. We need to protect kids from sex sex kids can't see we can't even teach them how to use condoms because they'll have sex you know like um oh hey let's hand out a bunch of free condoms at our pride parade you know it's like there's not much in between um and like that the sex industry suffers from the same binary thinking which um you have like you know empowered sex workers on one side who are like you know, um, I can make money for myself. I'm my own boss. Um, this has helped me learn how to really negotiate my own personal boundaries. Um, I feel beautiful. I feel sexy and I help people. Mm. Um, and then there's the other side, um, which the public hears a lot, which is like, um, you know, this girl has been abused, um, sexually throughout her whole childhood. She was forced into this when she was a teenager. Um, she continues her, this pattern of rape on a daily basis Mm -hmm. as a prostituted person. Um, and we don't look at anything in the middle when the majority of stuff exists in the middle, you know, um, a person, um, uh, you know, it's like, I have plenty, it's, you know, and, and, you know, it's like, both things are true. Both things exist in sex and the sex industry, but it's it's the it's the um un, you know our our inability to acknowledge everything in the middle and to think of different combinations, you know, to think of all the vast variety of experiences that people have around sexuality and um with work and with just trying to like get through this world, you know. Sure. Um those binaries don't address that. So when you um create policies that dictate how people are going to use their bodies and make a living and survive um, based upon um, fear, you know, um, you are, well, especially when you're criminalizing people, Mm -hmm. then you're really hindering people's ability to survive. You're putting a bunch of people in the closet. You're creating a black market. um, 
And I mean, I guess this could segue into like a slightly different topic. So the frust- one of the biggest frustrations I see is um, that um, trying to eradicate prostitution is kind of like the war on drugs. It's a lot like the war on drugs, right. and we're treating it like the war right. on drugs. And actually, there's a lot of legislative initiatives going on around this country that very much mimic how we handled the war on drugs. And all the propaganda is very similar. The reasons for doing it are very similar, and it's going to have, and it is having the same effect. Um, and this is very close to me, that inciting incident in middle school that I talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in eighth grade, um, the FBI raided my house um, oh, wow. and took all of our stuff. And long story short, it turns out that um, uh, one of my parents um, had been involved in selling marijuana um, in a southern state for a long time and a pretty large uh, quantity of it with some of their friends. And that is where a lot of our middle class income came from, you know, and my parents are wonderful people. They're artists. They're nonviolent. This was a first time offense Mm -hmm. um, for that individual. Um, And long story short, that um, I got to experience firsthand how when you deem somebody a criminal for making a living, you're not only changing that person's life, but everybody connected to them in a really negative way. So all of a sudden I had a single parent. I had one parent, Mm. I had one parent in jail and, um, and didn't really feel like, um, I could talk to my friends much about that. I told one or two of them, but it was just sort of like, all of a sudden there's the stigma of like, Oh, your, your parents are bad. You know, you're bad people, you're drug dealers. And I didn't, you know, and, um, and we didn't want to be thought of that way. But then I had one parent who had worked like three or four jobs at a time, totally stressed out. And it was just traumatic, you know, like we had a raid on our house. Ugh, and um, sex workers get raided all the time. Yeah. Sex workers get raided all the time. And um, the war on drugs was kind of in the name of saving the children, you know, like if you remember the D.A.R.E. program, sure, sure. it was an abstinence thing. It was total prohibition. We're going to eradicate, eradicate drug use. And then we've got all this shit in Mexico, and it's just like such a disaster. Yeah. Um, well, no, I think you're. Car- so, yeah. I. I, I Go on. No, I just I really respond to what you're saying because I think that is, again, we sort of get into these like the way the kind of macrocosmic way when you get into politics, when you get into money, when you get into relationships between uh, opposing countries, when you get into relationships between states, when all of that huge stuff, not to say that all of life isn't this, but that using something like the sex trade or using something like the drug war, those kinds of things as um, really intimate, very uh, complicated examples of that. When you're talking something as huge as the relationship that the U.S. has to Mexico or to, you know, Cuba or to, you know, any, 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 any other country. And you're, and that same conversation also includes whether a kid is going to take a joint from his buddy. That is so fraught. I mean, that is so complicated because mm-hmm. you're talking mm-hmm. about a thousand different levels of stuff and that everything gets convoluted together. And so the question is no longer, is it harmless to have to smoke a little pot and becomes, yeah, but what about our trade agreement with Guatemala? Do you know what I mean? And that's like, right. oh, shit, we're really talking about many different different things and rolling it all up into one thing we are and that's what i'm seeing with um i call it the war on whores and i'm not the only one who calls it that Mm -hmm. but um the the um the sex trafficking hysteria um really is 
to me, the new war on drugs. And I think it's really interesting that as the war on drugs has become passe and we have finally owned up to the fact on like all levels of society that that was a huge failure, um, that we're seeing this ramp up in, um, like millions and millions of dollars distributed across the country um, to enforce the police to stop trafficking. We're seeing um, uh, increase in different kinds of surveillance techniques and a decrease in privacy rights um, kind of left and right across the board to help monitor for sex trafficking. It's an immigration issue in many ways. It's um, it's a morality issue. It's a save the children issue. And it's it's totally fueled by fear. And when I say these things, I'm, I'm kind of hearing myself talk, and I feel like it's really easy to come off as insensitive when I'm speaking this way because it is true that sex trafficking is a thing. You know, like like I, I call it rape. <laughs> you know, yeah. like I call it coercion. Yeah. Um, and and there are instances. It's like. It gets down to these stereotypes, you know. So the stereotype of human trafficking in America is that there's a pimp who has a bunch of girls and women that he drives around the country or has in a city and he forces them to sleep with up to 10, 20, 40 men a day, depending on what you're reading. Right. Um, in these stereotypes, the pimp is usually um, a man of color, right. you know, and all the women are typically young white girls you know there's there's an interesting there's a there's a weird thing that happens if you kind of like google sex trafficking and you look at the images that come up you see a lot of um racial stereotypes that come up mm-hmm. oh profi- profiling is um a huge problem with this there's lots of different measures popping up around the country where profiling is okay you know um this person looks like a prostitute we're gonna stick our nose into their oh, business sure, you know sure, like sure. yeah that's anyways that's, and because that when you get into race and class and that was the other thing i was gonna throw out at you which is um that do you that do you feel that there's do you feel that there's an association between um like like socioeconomic indicators in terms of who does what and are there expectations and um stereotypes that aren't true about who is who has a pimp who is a hooker in this way versus who had an education and lives in san francisco and has a cooperative is there Mm -hmm. is there are there things that are coming into play because of people's backgrounds or because of the communities that they grew up in and does that end up coming into play or can can a can a can a can a, a a black woman who came from absolute abject poverty uh, somewhere in the country end up being a great sex, you know, sex educator, sex worker, and sex advocate who was able to become educated, if not in the system, mm-hmm. then outside of the system. And do people, is mm-hmm. there room for people to believe that's possible? Do you know what I'm saying? Um, well, that brings up a lot of things. The first thing that is just vividly on the forefront of my mind is a very recent issue that illustrates power dynamics and how race and class are really fucked up when we're talking about uh, criminalization and stigma around the sex trade um, and around drug use and other things. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was this case, um, the sentencing for this guy is happening on January 21st. His name is Daniel Holklotz. Have you heard about this case? I think this name is sounding so familiar and I'm blanking. So this douchebag is um, a former police officer um, who has raped and sexually assaulted and stalked um, up to 13 women who have, um, maybe more, but 13 women who have come forward and testified against him in court. Um, They are all um, 
African-American, black women, and they're all from um, the similar or same neighborhood, um, generally low income. Um, A lot of these women have records as drug users or prostitutes. um, And this guy was using the power and intimidation of his badge to completely um, assault and terrorize these women, knowing that they wouldn't come forward um, because of their, like, essentially their social status. Like, who's going to believe this this drug addict, you know? And some of them did. They had, they had um, I'm learning that there, there were complaints filed against this guy, you know? Um, and I read an interesting article recently about, like, it wasn't until, like, he messed with the wrong woman. And there was one in particular woman who he pulled over and raped. And, um, and she filed a complaint. And, um, and that finally got the ball rolling towards some justice. But this is like, mm. you know, I mean, sex work's an intersectional issue, you know. It's, um, it's intersectional to um, trans rights, to the Black Lives Matter movement. It's um, to uh, immigration uh, rights and things like that, uh, to drug use. It's, it, there's so many things that um, are connected to this that have to do with social justice and power. And um, I think that this Holtzclaw's case um, is, a, is an example mm. of how... All those things, like so if drug use and and, and prostitution weren't criminalized but decriminalized, these women wouldn't have a criminal record. Um, They would have had that much more leverage to um, speak up about this and have people believe them, you know? Um, Yeah, so... So that's that's the first thing that came up, but we can dive deeper into this issue. God, it's so hard. There's so so much. There's so much, and I'm so interested in... I do love the kind of origin story of everyone that I talk to to sort of see how things, you know, take right turns and left turns and or maybe they just seem like a straight line um, from the from this really developmental process that we go through as adolescents where, you know, everything gets cranked up to 11. I can't believe I'm still making Spinal Tap references. Everything gets cranked <laughs> Who up. isn't? I mean, Who it's just very concise. That? It's very concise and very easy and reminds you of something <laughs> funny. Um, but that that we still are... Uh, we're developing so quickly and so fiercely and so much of our hormonal, you know, our sort of sexuality and our, our intelligence, those things become um, enmeshed at the same time. People, you know, joke about how it becomes impossible to think because your hormones are raging. And, you know, those, pl- those places and times where we find out why, well, maybe we don't ever find out why, but we, we sort of start getting these hints as to, what is um, sexually exciting for us. And, you know, this, I think that, again, there's this sort of idea that someone who has this, and I'm using, you know, a a conservative's words, aberrant, quote unquote, um, sexual interest or proclivity, that that has to be immediately tied into trauma. Um, And so I, and so I, I'm always interested in that as well because obviously you can go to the very farthest end of that spectrum and say, well, what what was a child molester's childhood like, you know, and make that the example. Or you can go to a CEO who loves to be dominated and say, oh, well, does that have something to do with the fact that, you know, it's it's something more simple and, and somehow more benign mm-hmm. to everyone, this this idea that's easier to wrap around in this patriarchal, patriarchal society of, well, I understand that men are used to being in charge, so they like having if they're straight they like having a woman be in charge with sex which is not i'm not saying that's not true or that there aren't you know millions of men who feel that way and that's totally fine but again it goes into that sort of if if it's something we feel fearful of how do we apply the simplest examples we can rather than you know what 
this guy loves to be pissed on. And guess what? He doesn't know why. And it's not because he has too much power or not enough power or this or that or there's this one thing that caused that or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Right. Well, I mean, another thing that pops to mind is, um, you know, trying to understand what motivates rape, you know, mm. and it's my understanding and people who talk about rape and, um, and, 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 and where that comes from. It's like this guy, Daniel Holtzclaus, um, this wasn't about sex. I don't think, I don't think this was his sex drive. I think this was about power, violence and intimidation. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, um, I wonder how else he. I wonder how he treated other members of the community. I wonder how he treated uh, black men from the same community. If he was just like a super asshole cop or what, right? You know, like this is power tripping, and it's about making people small and exerting your authority in a really fucked up way. Yeah. So, and I, you know, I'm part of the BDSM community, and you know, the BDSM community, it's like they do some extreme heavy stuff that, to the outside eye, somebody who wasn't like in on what was going on might look really scary or really violent. You. You know, like, but it's like consent is key, you know, and also, you know, people, people in the BDSM community um, play with uh, different heavy ideas in different ways for different reasons. Sometimes it's for sex, you know, sometimes it's for a turn on. Sometimes it's to have a a cathartic release around an experience. Um, Sometimes it's to challenge yourself. Um, Sometimes it's about trusting your partner. Um, There's a lot of different reasons that people engage in that kind of consensual activity. Mm -hmm. But that is, in my opinion, completely removed to um, the kind of non-consensual um, heinous crimes that we um, see in this kind of case. Mm-hmm. The other thing that um, I that I would love to get a sense of from you is um, do do you feel that there's a perception among even open-minded but non-sex workers or people that are um, more adjacent to that world that that is your entire existence and being like that you don't like anything else that you only you know what I mean that your life rotates uh, really rotates around that one thing and that you that someone doesn't imagine you you know loving to go watch Downton Abbey or do you know what I mean Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think that happens to um, a lot of people in different professions, you know, like, I don't know, it's like I was dating a chef once for a while, and I actually brought him home for Christmas, and my um, my mom got him a cookbook, you know, right. like, it's right. like, oh, don't, don't you like cooking, uh-huh. you know, like, isn't that your job? And it's like, well, actually, that's my job, right? you know, like, <laughs> right, right. and I actually, you know, I relate sex work to cooking a lot, actually, because it's like, um, it, there's just a lot of parallels in terms of like, sometimes people just want a nice meal made for them, you know, and they don't want to fuss about it in the kitchen. And if somebody is willing to like put in the time and get paid to make that nice meal and, um, you know, cooking for people can be a really intimate thing, you know, Mm -hmm. or it can be a not intimate thing. It can totally just be like, I'm just totally removed from this and I'm making some noodles for somebody, you know? Um, and sometimes a chef wants somebody else to make them, you know, a meal. And sometimes a chef isn't really into the cuisine that they cook for work. You know, sometimes a chef, their favorite meal might just be a bowl of cereal, you know? Um, Um, so I don't know. It's like, I don't personally feel like I've been, um, pegged into being the sex person. I mean, granted, I am fascinated by this. That's why this is like my full time activist thing, Mm -hmm. you know, right now. Um, but yeah, we all have, you know, like anybody else, like the vast majority of us all have hobbies and families and community and things we think about. And this is our job. And even if we're like a lot of, a lot of sex workers I know are also sex educators and they might be a member of like the sex positive community. And that might take up a lot of their 
world, you know, like, but they have other interests too. Do you think that's something that, because I, I was, I'm thinking about, um, uh, there's a there's kind of a, a neat podcast. Oh my god! Again, I'm from the 1950s. Uh, listen, Daddyo, there's a neato podcast out there. Um, <laughs> there's this, there's this uh, there's a podcast called uh, Death, Sex, and Money. Um, that's mm-hmm. a WNYC. I've listened to it. Yeah, and and uh, you know what? I think Anna Sales actually interviewed a sex worker who was who said this is a job I don't like, and I feel very uncomfortable yeah. not wanting to speak on behalf of other sex workers who do not have that experience with it, and it becomes. Different difficult if you are pushed out into the spotlight with your point of view because that if people have a curiosity and a fear about something and again what we talked about before which is sort of putting a label on everything then it becomes oh okay i have this one person i heard about so now i know all sex workers are miserable right and i really appreciated that yeah and she I was really very careful how they handled that mm-hmm. um i like she that was too. super careful but i thought well, and she was respectful of all you know yeah. all experiences and then she articulated hers so beautifully and so honestly i really and i'm glad that yeah i love they were that. able to protect her identity that yeah way, guys so. i would say if you if you ha- if you are interested in this and i also want to make sure um certainly before we stop podcasting that i get from you pl- other places that people can read up and places they can um hear from you and because i just know i'm going to get a flood of letters from people saying why didn't you ask this why didn't you ask this why wasn't it a four-hour podcast i'm frustrated why didn't you ask that? which and i why didn't you will feel that? myself i mean if i go back and listen to this i'm gonna be like oh varney god you were all over the place and there were like 80 things you didn't touch on but i i i wanted to the reason i brought that up is because i i think that I love everything that you just said about this, you know, a chef um, as a, as a great example, as could be, you know, any other vocation. Um, uh, and she kind of had to do the same thing is, is that, is that one of the most common experiences that you have or that you, or is the most common kind of simple idea that you feel responsible for kind of implanting in people's mind, which is as much as you person who doesn't want to be a sex worker might not be able to make that parallel because your feelings about sex are tied to something beyond a chef's, what your perception of a chef's uh, relationship to food is, you have to accept that this is a job and that, that, that while it may not be true for every sex worker and you can't be expected to speak for every sex worker, that, they, that people really need to be able to see it as a vocation and, and that that's the only thing that's going to change policy about it as well. I just asked. I just well, basically said a, to... it was like a paragraph. And then at the end, I was like, is that true? Right. So I'm trying. I, I did listen to that podcast and I'm trying to remember all the details of it. And what I came away with is that this person doesn't like being a sex worker. They don't like the actual interaction. It makes them feel weird. Mm-hmm. You know, like I would also like to talk about how like sex work is not right for everybody for so many reasons, right, you know, right. like um, just like there are certain jobs that are not good for me. I've had certain um, like office jobs that were really detrimental to me in many ways that are kind of hard to articulate. Um, and that might sound like kind of like a cop off to be like, oh, well, office work is nothing like being sexual with somebody. But for me, being sexual with somebody is way easier than sitting at a desk every day from nine to five. I think that makes sense. I think that makes sense. And side note, you know, I've had relationships at work that were far more complicated than whatever sex relationship I was having in my private life, which is to say having a boss who's responsible for your paycheck, who also has passive aggressive tendencies or who is bipolar or who, et cetera, et cetera. And when you do feel trapped in any job, um, that mm-hmm. is incredibly yeah. complicated and it absolutely can spill into every aspect of your life. 
no matter totally. what that job is. And be demoralizing. If you feel like you're trapped in any situation, that means that your power is diminished. And when you don't have your power, you're vulnerable. And um, so I remember with this uh, this person who was speaking on that podcast, I, I forget exactly why they were stuck there, but something that comes to mind is a lot of people feel like they get stuck in the sixth industry um, because of re- things like resume gaps, you know, like mm. I personally, as Savannah Sly, like for me to fill out like a straight vanilla everyday job, job application and having to hide all of that, yeah. um, it would be like, what the fuck have you been doing for eight years? Right. <laughs> you know, like right. it's like, oh, you know, I was a exploring. Yeah, I was in a castle twiddling right. my thumbs. Right. Um, so that's just one basic thing that is a huge barrier. So right now, another pressing news item that I've been responding to all week with my community is in Seattle, where I've spent a great deal of time, love that city, um, a, a big uh, community discussion and advertising board called the Review Board just got seized and shut down by um, by the police mm. in Seattle. And um, I know a ton of people on that site. And um, and Swap Seattle, one of our local chapters, did a wonderful job of responding and um, putting the sex worker rights uh, slant on this story. Um, this was a, a story of um, human trafficking. But... Um, you know, there were a lot of screenshots of these of this website were released in the in the DA's press kit and in the news. And a lot of my friends, all of a sudden, there are their there's their stage name in big letters on TV, being mm. broadcast sometimes nationally. You know, like yeah. there's their name, and you know this is their brand that they've spent years building up, yeah. and they can't use that name anymore. They feel totally insecure. Sure. A bunch of people have been panicking. It causes so much. Um, fear in people. And then, um, so I talked to at least one friend just the other day who's like, yep, I have an interview hopefully next week, you know, like not sure how I'm going to explain my resume gap, you know. Um, But it's like that's, that might sound like a small thing, but it's a huge thing, you know, Um, especially when you're facing like an outing situation like that. And um, and she's just kind of looking for whatever gig will tide her over because it's not that she doesn't feel comfortable working, but she doesn't feel safe working because she thinks she's going to get arrested, yeah. you know, yeah. and that means that she would get outed. And, um, you know, that's – and getting outed is another big deal. It's like you could um, get evicted, lose custody of your kids, lose your vanilla job if you do have one. Mm-hmm. You could get rejected by your family. Mm-hmm. Um it's it, and then you have a record as a prostitute forever on the internet, and it's like, and in some places you might be on the sex offender registry. It really varies from state to state, and so um, the criminalization of sex work really causes so much. Um, kind of like a lot of the things that you get with a black market. Getting back to the war on drugs, you know, it's like, you know. Is it safer to go and try and score weed in a city that you're visiting where you don't know anybody? Or could you just go to, like, the pot store right. and, like, right. pick some up? Right. What's safer, you know? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> like, um, Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, well, let me ask you this. I play, the, uh, I play. if you listen to um, a recent episode, you know that I play a mash game at the end, which I um, am de- absolutely bound to determine to do with you. Because oh, I yeah. think it'll be a really fun window into some of those things that I said, you know, are you just this person? Now, I used up a ton of time on the podcast talking about that stuff because um, I feel so lucky to have been connected with you. And I feel so grateful and appreciative um, for you to bring uh, your, you know, immeasurable kind of wisdom and experience in something that as I'm sure you could tell from our conversation I just am I'm really I'm I could spend a lot more time thinking about it and 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 
becoming more involved in the kind of activism and and through that hopefully you know sort of again like wrestling with my own you know it just uh, real quick i'll say um because I just I sort of intimated that that was an issue for me is that you know there was a period of time when I was living in San Francisco I live in LA now uh, when I was I did consider myself very sex positive I loved watching porn I didn't I just didn't care or really bother thinking it was very easy for me to just go I don't care these are people having sex I don't really care what the backstory is this is hot Mm -hmm. and then something happened where all of a sudden I became incredibly worried about the women and I can't even really say when that was you know and so then it became like well what is there okay hentai well listen that's just um animation nobody's getting hurt there let's like how do you you know and then it's sort of okay HBO is doing some really extraordinary work in terms of making all of those wonderful gray areas, uh, gray being a good thing, uh, that you were talking about before, which is, listen, it's not just this and it's not just this. What about all of these thousands of subcultures and websites where it's just two people in love who want to have sex in front of a camera and, you know, all of these different ways of kind of bringing that stuff out in the open. And I think often, and I'd love to hear what you think, in a very playful, um, very non-threatening way um, that, that is available, you know, that's about as as public and as kind of cross-section of humanity as you can get if you're mm-hmm. lucky enough to have access to HBO, which, of course, is a pay channel. Right. Uh, class, class, class. But uh, but that, that's, that's a, that, to me, is one of the best places to go to find out about this stuff in a way that um, feels inclusive rather than like, oh, mm-hmm. ooh, we're all pointing our fingers at this crazy kink, you know? Right. Well, I think what is important, I I like that. I think gray is a good thing. You know, I think that that should be like a tagline because like, um, I've had the same experience. So even with my like, uh, vast array of experiences and like all the thought I've put into this, it's like, I watch porn and occasionally I'll watch porn and be like, Oh, I hope everybody's okay in this, you know? And I can find myself creating assumptions. And I'm usually thinking about something a little different, like how much are they getting paid? You know, like, did anybody tell them about what they should do or not do? Like, are they being told that they um, won't make as much money if they don't use a condom, things like that, you know? And I think it comes down to, um, you know, do people know what their rights are? Do people feel like they have the leeway to negotiate their own actions and experience? Um, I, um, I myself have worked in a variety of, um, fetish and BDSM porn. And I've had amazing experiences on some sets where I feel like I was just in such good care and that all of my limits were totally respected. And then I've worked on some where it's like, okay, and we're rolling and we've done this a ton today. And, um, you know, this is a quantity over quality and, um, and, and so much bad shit can happen on set when you have that kind of attitude, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of bad shit can happen when you go uh, quality over quantity in general when it talks to like, you know, when you're talking about like the human capacity involved in making that quantity. And that certainly definitely goes for things like porn. Um, So I have some friends who have had some awful experiences in porn. Um, And I feel like um, I think a lot of that is um, from stigma. You know, I think a lot of that um, comes from like kind of like a lack of labor rights, perhaps. Um, I feel like I'm not enough of authority on working in the main street adult industry to talk about that. If you're ever interested in the future, I could probably hook you up with somebody. But yeah, but I think gray is a good thing. And oh, so one thing that I want to leave with the audience and with you is this idea of ethical consumerism, you know, um, mm-hmm. there's no reason why we can't be ethical consumers of um, of services that people provide to the world and to us directly, you know? So it's like, 
Um, I became aware of ethical consumerism in middle school when I heard about sweatshops, you know, and that really opened my mind and I started paying attention to what I was wearing. Um, now when I'm at a restaurant or at a coffee shop, you know, if it seems like, um, if it seems like the workers are overworked or just having like a really fucking shitty time across the board consistently, I might question whether that's like, um, a great establishment, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of how they treat their workers. Um, if I, um, watch porn and it seems like, if it seems like participants are kind of like out of it or if the set's really dirty or if, um, you know, if people are checked out, you know, it's like you can kind of question whether certain studios are being um, careful Mm -hmm. and ethical and um, mindful of their performers' wellness. And those are questions you can ask. And as a consumer, you can kind of vote with your consumption of these various products, you know. That's great. Um, That's a great reminder. Yeah. That's a great reminder. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let's get into the mash game. So here is uh, my mash game, mash categories for you. Number one is, and I just need you to list three per category because then I'll do some fancy footwork at the end and tell you what your 100% guaranteed mash future is. Mm-hmm, so uh, excited. Um, uh, okay, first one is you wake up tomorrow morning and you have downloaded sort of magically matrix style three skills. Mm. And what would those three skills be? And what would those three skills be? And you can go as superhero-y as you want, but you could also go as like, I really wish I knew how to use QuickBooks better, which is probably what I would say. I do wish uh, I knew how to... Like, okay, I'm going to go with that, <laughs> like, actually. I'm going to go with QuickBooks for nonprofits because I just downloaded that for Swap USA, and the bookkeeper and I are going to try and tackle it, but holy shit. Amazing. Like, Amazing. I read your mind. Yeah, you sure... You did, because you downloaded <laughs> mind reading. <laughs> okay cool and then two more um i think that i would um love to download um all of the um social and political suave that a person can possess i feel like um just being able to navigate like all situations with people that requires communication and talking like i want to be like a super communicator and i love uh, it yeah yeah i love it impervious to good days and bad days Oh God, that would really be great. And three, um, I guess this is this is getting back to like you know seven year old me. But I wish I could turn into any animal at, at whim. I want to be a shapeshifter. Oh my God, I love it. Yeah, I absolutely love it. This yeah. is the most fun, varied uh, series of skills that I think I've ever gotten. This is perfect. Well, the- um, okay. <laughs> Well played, well played. And then this next one will be um, three places that it would be fun to have a vacation home uh, here on planet Earth if uh, if it wasn't like a huge headache to get there. I don't want you to add, you know, factor that in. If it's an island in the middle of nowhere, let's pretend you can just teleport there. Oh, that's that's really interesting. Um, I'm not the kind of person who has like a a favorite place. I don't have a long list of like travel destinations. uh, assuming that an earthquake doesn't rip the open earth and swallow the Emerald City whole, like Seattle is by far and away my favorite city in, in North America, and um, it would be really great to have a solid, awesome, big, expansive crash pad there whenever I Love wanted. Um, where else? Um, uh, probably um, somewhere on a magic mountain, could be kind of anywhere, but somewhere off the grid and completely independent in a gorgeous mm-hmm. environment, sort of far and away from it all. Um, Love it. Where I could um, turn the internet on or off if I wished. Um, yeah. Yeah, and there would be like a nice quarry of rocks and, and a body of water I could swim in and trails and 
and I could be this as loud as I wanted. This is also my total fantasy. We yeah. need to get this going immediately. Yeah, we need to become like going. James Bond supervillains so that we have like a helipad. That yeah, we can I want like a progressive yeah. pagan bat cave that's not in a cave. You know, there can be caves. Um, Couldn't agree more. And then where else? Um, I don't know. Like, I think that my ultimate vacation home could just be in any town where I felt like there was a really cool, funky bar and like an arts community and a cool cafe where I could go and hang out all day and do some typing. And some, I love to run on woods trails. So anywhere where there's like a park or some forests and some hills and, um, I travel a lot. And so I, whenever I travel, I always try and find those neighborhoods and, um, you know, I can be kind of happy anywhere as long as I have those kinds of basic things. So that kind of vacation home could kind of be anywhere, I guess, you know? If I can God, get, like, I, yeah, I love it. Yeah. I, I, everything you're saying is all stuff I gravitate towards. Like I was just going to say, there's, uh, in many ways, you just described Flagstaff, which is where I went to school for my first Oh, really? Is Flagstaff? I'm always so surprised, too, like when I find those places. Like I was in, um, Amarillo, Texas, this April, just driving through, and like it was looking pretty bleak, pretty bleak. But uh-huh. like, I'll, I'm the kind of person I'll spend like three hours researching where the perfect bar or coffee shop is, and then I will find yeah. it. And that's usually when I find like the strip or the neighborhood that I want to hang out in, you know. So Flagstaff, yep. good to know. Oh yeah, I think you would love it. I think you would absolutely love it. Um, couldn't be more confident about that. Uh, okay, great. Love these. Okay. Then, um, uh, one of my perennial favorites, three foods that are, um, in this alternate universe actually good for you rather than for whatever reason you can't have them, um, in excess, uh, in this, in this particular world that we live in. In, mm. in our mash world, you can eat chocolate chip cookies and, um, sustain vitamins from them. Oh my goodness. That kind, that kind of thing. I love this world. As a I love this or, world. It, yeah, I know. Um, Me too. <laughs> you know, I okay. So I feel like I'm about to admit something really big on air. Okay, and some of my friends, if any of my friends listen to this, they might be like, oh, "Really?" And um, I really, really like mayonnaise. I really like mayonnaise. And um, in a perfect world, mayonnaise wouldn't clog my arteries. It um, it also wouldn't be such a stigmatized, gross, milky. Sure. Uh, coagulative sure. substance you know like so god this is exactly what this mash game is for <sighs> okay that like felt i'm that very proud of you felt pretty intimate pretty intimate i'm very proud of you i, um, I guarantee oh, you you're not alone yeah, a big one in a in a perfect world eating f- animals wouldn't have such a huge fucked up impact yeah. on our world so eating meat and fish i feel so bad whenever i eat fish or meat now because it's like i mean it's like fuck talking about almonds using so much water it's like how come we're not talking about like beef ranches and stuff like that yeah, and then the pollution yeah, of the ocean absolutely. it just totally dejects me so in my world i could eat all the fish i wanted and just be like there would just be like more of them just like jump and also you know if it didn't like harm them too that would be really great you know um i think that's that's another great one another yeah i take that one. over mayonnaise actually um and then another one um oh um caffeine i really like mm-hmm. coffee i like mate i'm kind of like you know, like I like speedy things and um, I like that jolt of coffee in the morning, but it is extremely acidic and um, mm-hmm. I don't really drink too much coffee very often, you know, like, but if I'm traveling a lot, if I'm sick or stressed, like coffee, I can definitely feel it kind of wearing on my body. And um, yeah. Yep. so, yeah, I guess that goes for like alcohol too. <laughs> all those, all those acidic, astringent things. Yeah. That, yep. Yeah. 
Absolutely. But yeah, really but into, yeah, that's animals a great one. First. That's a great one. Animals first. Um, animals first. We got three great ones. Uh, three movies that you can you can jump into and the worlds are real. So it's not like you're an actor in the movie. It's like this is this this imaginary cinematic world is a place that you can kind of escape into and hang out with the characters and, and um, be in, in, in that land. Dinotopia. Definitely. Um this is going to sound like a, a gnarly one, but Sin City, Sin City was highly influential on me. So I was like, when I'm talking about like those comic books, I would sneak a glimpse of when I was younger. I actually got my hands on a fucking copy of Sin City, a Dame to Kill for, and that was like the hottest, most provocative, most compelling shit um, I read in my you know nine year old existence. And when the movies came out, I was just so thrilled. So I would love to go into oh, Sin yeah. City and hang out in Old Town with all oh, the sure. oh man, those are like my people right there. So. Um, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love Sin City because I love Sin City because it's all these guys getting killed in the name of sex workers. You know, like it's like, baby, I'm going to go out there on a limb for you and I'm going to get that guy, you know, or I'm going to avenge her death. You know, like I just love it. Absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And then there's some fucked up shit with sex workers, too. But, you know, we're used to that. That's the norm. Right. Um, In (laughs) media. You know, you take the bad with the good. Yeah. Um, so and then a th- a third movie. I don't watch a lot of movies. Um, movies, movies, movies. What have I seen? What do I want to watch? Or something from when you're a kid, I guess. Yeah. Oh, like oh, some oh. Fun kind of- Yellow submarine, so that I could go and oh, live in great. Pepperland. Pepperland. Absolutely, that's a great one. And actually, Pepperland. when I'm at Gasworks Park in Seattle and sitting on top of the hill and looking out at the city, I'm like Pepperland. You know, it's just very much like yeah. that. So, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, and then this one is um, uh, this is like if you had time to have a sort of other career, um, and I I use this one a lot, um, and it can also be kind of. It, it, it doesn't have to be career like a lawyer. It could be like, oh, I have a cafe, you know, or, oh, I, uh, I opened up this dog park or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think about this a lot, and I think a lot of sex workers think about this a lot. <laughs> um, but um, I, uh, before I really dove into sex work, and, and all along I've um, been a performing artist, and I think that I um, would love to have that, take, take a stab at that as a, as a career, which might involve writing and, and, you know, kind of all that stuff. Um, Mm. so that's one, assuming I could scrape out a living. It's awfully challenging. Um, I kind of have a fantasy of opening a really funky tea house somewhere, maybe in that, that town where I have my vocation. Well, up on the magic mountain, that would be good, but I'd want more people to come to it. I would want to have this oasis of eclectic excellence in the middle of like Amarillo, Texas or something. Um, so I think about Love things it. like that, you know, a little performance venue and tea and food and all that. And, um, oh, geez, I don't know. Well, I'm putting all this free, uncompensated time into Swap USA, and I'm kind of navigating, um, you know, nonprofit structures, and I'm really enjoying it. I'm kind of just throwing myself into it. And it has me wondering, like, am I kind of cut out for this, you know? Like, um, would I like to pursue some sort of um, occupation in the nonprofit sector um, working for human sure. rights? So, I don't know. I have, a, I have a two-year obligation with SWAP, and after that, we'll see what happens. Love it. 
Love, love, love. Okay. Uh, next one is, um, this is pretty specific, so uh, hopefully it will uh, spark some ideas for you. I, I, if I had to apply it to myself right now, I don't know if I'd come up with much, uh, except for maybe Anne of Green Gables. But um, three book characters that are uh, like your best friend and or mentor or, you know, sort of the, mm. the, a person that comes into real life that can give you advice or just have, that you can just have fun and play with. Mm-hmm. Um talking about childhood i would probably say martin of redwall from the redwall series i don't know if anybody is familiar with that but it's a fantasy series um about animals who live in medieval times and um as i want to be a shapeshifter with my super download power you know like i'm really into animal people so if martin the warrior could come to life as a mouse and talk to me that would be really great that's great that's great good luck topping that yeah yeah um two more Let's see. Um, uh, well, I've been reading a book by this guy named Jack Schwartz, who was this like kind of I kind you know for back of a letter term, a better term, super yogi, like really connected to his body through meditation, and he um, was co- mm-hmm. involved in MIT with all these weird experiments where they would like um, skewer his bicep and he would heal it with his mind. Thirty minutes later, you oh, know, my, he passed yeah. away. He dissolved and he is um, floating around the ether now with David Bowie and has been for years. But um, mm. if he could manifest again and come out of his book and hang out with me, I'm sure I'd have some questions for him. He's not fictional, but um, love it. And let's see, there's got to be another amazing fictional character. Um, I'm trying to think of the books. This is one of my issues. It's kind of like movies. I can't remember all the books I've read. I've got a whole bunch of books on my shelf. this is a lot of pressure for um, uh, anybody, including like my friends who are improvisers, are like, this is the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Oh, well, I'm, I'm really enjoying it, you know? Like, I'm just trying to, like, I guess the book thing is hard, so I'm like, I feel like, I don't know what books I've read. I feel a little dumb, but I know I've read well, a buttload of books. Well, you know what? It can even be Sin City. What about a Sin City character? That's oh, you, well, I was just thinking, you know, it's like, yeah, definitely in Sin City, I could go and hang out with any of the chicks in Old Town, um, but I've already talked about them, um, so okay. maybe, um, I think um, any of the ladies from X-Men, you know? Oh, um, great. Yeah, especially probably great Mystique character. because she is the kind of shapeshifter that I want to be, and I think she's yeah. really sexy. And if she wanted to, yes. like, maybe go on a cocktail date with me, that'd be really cool. I love it. I love it. That is um, That will uh, bleed into the next category, which is um, person character uh thing creature whatever um that it would be fun to either have as a alternate universe spouse or a one-nighter or any varying degree in between of um sexy love times um i would love to um i would i would uh love to get experience um i would love to be able to experience what it's like to be um different people on this earth and there's a variety of different people on this earth who i think um their experiences um are underrepresented or underhood or misunderstood and to be able to step into that person's shoes and skin literally so you could experience the way that they experience life um mm-hmm. would be uh tremendous you know so somebody who um um, has like a burning desire to be a different gender, you know, and they really feel misgendered, you know, or somebody who has, um, you know, somebody who has like different skin color. Um, I would love to have like an actual penis and more testosterone to feel what that's like, you know? Sure, um, sure. so the ability to turn into different human beings on this earth and experience how they experience life would be excellent and really interesting. That is a way that, no, I've never heard anyone use this category and I'm very impressed. 
Usually yeah. someone's just like, I'd like to have sex with Angelina Jolie. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Which you can also do. Yeah. Um, no, I feel, I mean, I, I'm sh- I, I don't doubt that Angelina's life is fascinating, but uh, when it comes to the top three ever, you know, um, yeah. I think that I would love to, you know, I'd love to be an extraterrestrial being, you know, like that would be really excellent to um, know what other parts of space are like to live in or what it's like to exist as a different uh, non-Earth planetary life form or or gaseous being or whatever um, you might be. (laughs) You know, I want to be a vapor cloud in the ether. I love it. And then, uh, what else? Uh, 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 I don't know. This just popped to mind. This is totally just like riffing, but you know, a dragon, you know, like the ability to breathe fire. That sounds pretty cool, you know, to have like, um, I feel like I spend a lot of time in my yoga practice trying to develop inner fire, you know, to like warm myself, you know, and to actually just have a fire existing within you that you can like incinerate people with if they piss you off, you know, like, and being able to fly and all that jazz and sure. You know, Hell yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. Uh, dragon. That's great. Okay. And then final, got, got dragon in there. Uh, awesome. And then the last one is, um, I like this one. Uh, it, it, this is sort of. I thought because you like um, you were saying that you enjoy kind of um, fantasy roles and stuff like that, um, that and you probably get to explore this a lot in your work anyway. But are there different styles from history that for one reason or another, you probably won't like go down to the tea house um, wearing for either comfort or that you probably would, you know, that you would want to be more anonymous than the stares that you would elicit. I'll list like, oh, I wish I could, you know. I, I really enjoy like jodhpurs and riding boots. <laughs> and I sort of well, find myself I trying to like do things. that on a regular basis. Yeah, I find my like what is my version of that in this world? But if I could just prance around in like a a vest and a waistcoat like that has tails and you know if I looked like a mm-hmm. like a like a 1700s British soldier, I probably wouldn't mind that so much. Mm-hmm. So is there anything like that that would be really fun to get to kind of see yourself in um, with no holds barred? Well, this is interesting. It's sort of like asking. Asking people like if you could be born at any point in time when would it be and I keep coming to like I was born at exactly the right time because I exist you know on the cusp of communication technology and all this but I live in the era of fucking yoga pants Janet you know and yoga pants yeah, are yep. you know compression clothing right now <laughs> me too and they're so good and I feel like so professional in them you know put a slap a blazer on it and um but we're not talking now we're talking in the past um, so I guess I'll start with, I would love to wear, um, even finer compression, full body suits from the future, you know, nice, kind of like you see in nice. all those movies like Tron and stuff. I would love to wear a I Tron. I'm big on to the spandex. You have named my favorite movie. So Ooh. I'm very oh. on board for this. <laughs> awesome. Wonderful. So I want a Tron suit. Um, I love, um, I'm, 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 I've. I'm pretty genderqueer. It's come, it's taken me a while to be able to like say that out loud. Cause I feel like I'm taking somebody else's descriptor. Cause it's never, gender's never been a conflict for me, but I love my masculine energy and I love dressing like a dapper man in, um, 
in slacks and a little vest and a little jacket yep. with a newsy yep. cap. I look really good in a newsy yes. cap with a mustache. I'm telling you, that is a great look for women. It and really in is. drag or otherwise. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, I love it. And then I kind of get all saucy and I want to like hit on the ladies, you know, but I'm kind of shy because I'm sort of a nice guy too. Um, uh-huh. There's this whole side of me <laughs> that comes it. out when I dress like that. Um, I absolutely love it. And then uh, for a third one... Um, this isn't really a different time so much as a different culture, but um, I've, I've, I've come into the possession of two really beautiful silk kimonos. And, um, mm-hmm. and then I recently um, bought one from this wonderful store. It's, uh, it's cotton, um, but from in Seattle. And I really, really enjoy wearing them. And those are ones that like I, I'm so much more comfortable wearing the, the cat suit in public or the, the dapper gentleman suit, you know, like so when I wear a kimono, I feel like um, like, A, this isn't quite my culture and I'm not sure what this means, you know, but like but I think this is the I most feel the same way. I worry. I, 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 I go down that road, too, because I think um, I mean, quite honestly, and I I'm sure that there is something innately racist about this, and I don't mean it to be. But if I could wear a beautiful Indian chief's headdress, mm-hmm. I mean, oh, it's beautiful, yeah. or mm-hmm. a beautiful beaded, you know, I've, I've this, some of this beaded stuff that's from from the tribes of the state that I grew up in, or some of the stuff that gets made. There are these amazing feathered coats that um, communities in New Zealand make, and and it's like I'm not going to prance around in one of those. I don't feel like that's my right. But right, boy, right. in an alternate universe where there's no political implication whatsoever and it is purely an admiration of style and and craftsmanship Mm -hmm. in a heartbeat yeah i feel the same way about that makes perfect sense about i feel the same same way about head wraps and different kinds of turbans um which um i I really only feel like i have permission to wear those things in places like burning man you know like where everything's just sort of like a giant culture blend in some ways exactly yeah yeah that's great um but i do shy away from wearing these gorgeous kimonos and i really want to figure out how to incorporate them into my life because they're just collecting dust right now and um, i uh you will not be surprised to hear that i have four vintage kimonos two of which i got in japan two of which i got in japan town here in san francisco same exact thing like okay am i having a dinner party where everyone who knows me well enough will not um look at me in any way askance and they'll just understand that it's a beautiful robe or you know what I mean so just what we need to do Janet is we need to have a dinner party with really ethically harvested fish on our magic mountain wearing our kimonos I love it and we'll invite I everybody from the tea house it. okay and yeah. then we'll tie our kimono up into a little bow and go trail running exactly yeah on the lush um, mossy trails of oh the magic mountain it'll Amazing. be low impact on our knees Amazing. Okay, here's what we're going to do. You tell me, just tell me when to stop. Stop. Okay. Uh, Let's see. I'm going to try to weave this into some sort of interesting... um, There's a lot of stuff that kind of did... There's some some stuff that really flows together very, very nicely. Uh, I'm just going to jump right into it. So... I want to congratulate you. Now, listen, it, it, Mansion Apartment Shack House, I have to tell you that you did get a shack, but... I got a shack? But listen, here's Did I get my, a shack on the Magic Mountain? You know, I'm okay with yes, that. Yes, you did. You oh, got a shack on the Magic Mountain. That's all I want. That's okay. I know. I really felt very good about that. It's I thought better listen, that if way. There's some, if there's a person who is going to enjoy that, besides, to be honest with you, I don't know, it could be that it leads into some kind of crazy um, invisible lair uh, that I definitely just looks like a shack don't want a mansion i think having a mansion would make me a little uncomfortable actually i'm happy to visit the them same way too big the same way too big i don't like feeling lost inside a place i just 
want i'm sure i'm sure the two-bedroom house that i live in would seem too big to someone but probably not that many people it's pretty much exactly the size i need so um yeah when i'm in some place that feels really opulent i just feel like i'm being swallowed up by it um so congratulations on your wonderful shack uh, on your magic mountain so um, pleased by the way you're also spending plenty of time in your uh beautiful tea house on said mountain <gasps> so that's Fabulous. like a whole other building you are wearing your beautiful kimono yes. in the tea house. You, I'm uh, really liking how this is shaping up. And then this all this all flows together perfectly. Well, I'm just going to throw this um, side thing in, which is that you can disappear into the movie Dinotopia. But it's actually not a side thing because you can shapeshift into a dragon. Yes. Because you're a shapeshifter. Yes. And your best friend is Mystique. So it's just a couple oh, of hot shapeshifters. Hot sh- we're just shapeshifting. Now, how would that be for a porn scene between two um, like fairly treated, consenting <laughs> adult performers? Incredible. Oh, in my God. Play. And then uh, I want you to know that um, all of the shapeshifting uh, and sexual adventurousness is maybe going to be exhausting. I want you to rest assured you can have as much caffeine as you want to stay perky. Sweet. Because that is what you got. And it's not going to eat up my insides. (laughs) It's not going to eat up your insides. No acid in sight. No acid in sight. Yeah. Savannah, that is a glorious mash. I'm very impressed at uh, how it, at how it, the results, and and certainly they wouldn't have been possible without your um, very very smart on the go thinking that just uh, on the spur of the moment you came up with some great stuff. It feels um, like a sparkling magical reality that could be mine in many senses. You know, I feel like some of that, like I can agree. wear a kimono on a mountain in a little shack and have my tea house, and you know, maybe if I meditate enough. I can turn into a dragon someday and maybe Mystique (laughs) will come, you know, out of the woods and, you know, all will be revealed that, you know, reality is more than we think it is. So I love it so much. I would take all of those things right alongside you. Um, So great work. Now, tell me where people can find more, because, again, I'm 100 percent sure that people are going to be pleased yet not sated by ah. uh this episode so where can they go well they can um go t- and find me at twitter that's the easiest place to find me and that's where i'm most active and so that's just a, uh, you know at savannah sly um great at savannah sly great they can go to swapusa.org to see um what i'm working on and what i'm putting all my time towards with like um a- about a hundred other activists at any given time um great. i have a totally um, it's not a lifeless blog. There's a ton of great stuff on there. I have all these intentions of writing more to it, but you can find that. You can go to my professional website, MsSavannah.com, and find Ms. all about Savannah.com. like, great. yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm not working much these days. Or if somebody has burning questions and they want to talk to me about any variety of things, they can hire me <laughs> to talk to them on Skype or on Nightflur. We can do the sex worker thing. It'd be really fun. And then depending oh, that's on, great. yeah, you know, so. That's, That's fantastic. Yeah, support my activism, you know, talk to me on Skype and throw me like, you know, 20 bucks every 10 minutes. That's how it works, you know, like I'll do it I topless. I think that's outstanding. I think, yeah. hey, listen, get yeah. guys, perk up. And by guys, you know, I call all of you guys girls and guys, <laughs> and I mean it in the most loving way. That Everybody. I've been doing from the beginning. Everybody. Um, Savannah, thank you so much. I'm so pleased with this. I'm, I'm so thrilled we were able to do this. I was, uh, I, my initial feeling of like, oh no, she's not anywhere near me ha, uh, turned out to be uh, unjustified because we just had as intimate of a conversation as we would have had in person. So I'm totally, delighted. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank um, you. And, uh, guys, I will talk to you next time on the podcast. 
always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by The Amazing Say Hi. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 